Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to In Conversation with Dr. Gary. Tonight, we'll be continuing our series uh, surrounding adult reentry, and our topic tonight will be um, barriers to successful reentry. And we know sometimes that can be difficult, uh, and so we just want to put together a a package that will cover uh, all of the bases on what really reentry is all about for those that have been recently incarcerated. Uh, we're tonight. We have a very very special guest tonight uh, that is going to help us dialogue a little bit about this topic and shed some light on some of the things that's not only happening in the Midwest addressing reentry, but around the country. And tonight we have with us a Mr. Ernell Brown the uh, third. Mr. Ernell Brown serves actually as a, an executive director and CEO of Sir Donald Foundation. Uh, and he's been there for about 15 years. Uh, he's been having experiences in correction um, from active incarceration to reentry successes. So his, he's transformed uh, to working in correction setting um, that actually is in post incarceration. And he's also serving as a certified MRT. Uh, currently, he's a member of um, uh, police department where he's working in reentry and collaborations. Um, in the state of Illinois, and over the past six years, Renell has been dedicated uh, to sources and supporting uh, for creative reentry. And so, uh, we want to kind of bring him on to talk a little bit about the criminal justice reform and reentry that he's been working on for a number of years. And so, without further ado, I'd like to introduce you tonight, Mr. Ernell Brown. Mr. Brown, how are you doing tonight, brother? I'm doing good, Dr. Gary. How are you? <laughs> Not bad, not bad at all. Listen, we go back a little ways in this effort, you know, and I know it's a tedious journey and it's not always easy sometimes. And I know that you have spawned out into doing some not only different things, but some great things as well. And I hadn't been able to follow you until recently. And uh, I just wanted to kind of talk a little bit about tonight, just so you uh, have an idea on where we left off at uh, our previous episode um, consisted of uh, life after incarceration. Um, and it was a pretty intense conversation that we have with a gentleman who had uh, basically cleaned up his life and dealing with the struggles of recidivism. And as you and I know, that's one of the things that we're trying to combat and to deal with is recidivism, having offenders repeat over and over. And so um, tell us a little bit about some of the things that you're doing with um, the Sir Donald Foundation. Thank you. Thank you. So Sir Donald Foundation exists to develop the intrinsic value of individuals after they are incarcerated. Uh, we work on three paths, pre-incarceration, active incarceration, and post-incarceration. So in each service, there's different areas. Uh, each area, there's different services. And uh, we focus on mentoring and MRT to get into the heart and mind of the individuals we deal with to raise their individual dignity and, and give them something to hold on to, putting a foundation under their feet. Interesting. Interesting. And I know that, um, you know, when we talk about uh, even in the ministry where we have jail minis, are you guys operating um, just as, as a foundation or are you operating in the school systems or police departments, uh, jails, things of that nature? So currently we work in the community in DeKalb. I myself am a certified uh, moral recognition uh, treatment facilitator and that program is a cognitive behavioral therapy program. And I've seen some astounding things with that program. I've watched 
grown men cry, celebrate mm. together. People that didn't get along, get along. You know, people realize that the trauma that they experienced in their past doesn't have to be their future. And that's one of the things that I, you know, tell people and, and teach my guys that you don't ever have to see the inside of a jail or prison again based on the decisions you make from this day forward. And that doesn't mean that your past can't catch up with you. There's ways to deal with that because you haven't done anything new. But from this day forward and the decisions that you make, you don't ever have to see the inside again. Um, in our community, we currently uh, work with about 14 individuals in the DeKalb community. We have two in Chicago uh, and a few in Elgin. One of the things that we don't do is we don't run a puppy mill. It's not a churning out of numbers for the purposes of grants and things like that. You remember the old daycares and, and big mamas that did things like invited you in their home and took care oh. of you? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> That's our feel. And as you know, we'll grow into larger, but we want to maintain that feel. We want to be able to connect with that person on a level that other people will not. Some people, you know, most agencies job is done at 5 p.m. Okay. I don't think we ever close. We can get a call at 2 a.m., you know, from a guy that, that needs some support, you know, that's, that's thinking about, well, w when the gas station starts looking good again, you know, and, and things are going wrong, we're there. We right. provide a different type of service. Excellent. So we, you and I had um, done some very, very similar work uh, in some of the towns, just so the audience knows uh, that the towns that you were mentioning are in the state of Illinois. Um, and so there are a variety of things that go, the, the variation of how reentry is approached from state to state is vastly different. Uh, Ernell, you know, I'm down in Florida right now and trying to initiate those type of things that you're working with. And it is very difficult. Um, the process is a lot different from state to state. Um, you know, the, the laws and regulations are completely different, but the barriers are all the same right now they're all Absolutely. the same and so it hit sometimes it can hinder how successful an individual can be whether man or female um if they're going to be successful in their transition from incarceration to being out in society again and so um there are various obstacles that we're going to talk about tonight and I want you to elaborate on them as deeply as you need um, that have a, have a profound effect, basically a negative effect on the millions of people that are released from incarcerations every day and how it affects their family. And it's practically impossible for these people who are returning home from incarceration to engage responsibly in, in society as successful citizens. And Absolutely. so, yeah. And so, so one of the things I'd like to start our conversation on, one of the barriers I'd like for us to discuss is employment. And so what, what efforts are, are you or, or the Serdano Foundation, what are your efforts in regards to assisting them with employment? So currently we, we're working on a, a program, a pilot program that's called Surtech 21. And it's created to give guys an opportunity to get a job in, in information technology. Uh, we'll be partnering with CompTIA to provide uh, training and certification from IT fundamentals all the way through the A-plus certification. There are jobs for guys with criminal histories in the IT field. 
another thing that we're doing is we create jobs a lot of times because we find it hard for anything other than a temporary agency or a warehouse that'll turn them out, you know, like butter to, to give them a chance. There's no career-based opportunity. There's less career-based opportunities than there are temporary jobs. So one of the things that we do is we create jobs. We work with different agencies and organizations to create things like we go around and we fix potholes. We right. go around and we clean up communities. Those are jobs. They're, you know, they're jobs that people don't want to do. Right. So what we do is we create training programs around these job fields in addition to, um, you know, provide education that can provide a, a door opener to new job opportunities. Um, one of the things that we've done recently is we began to work with other organizations to provide 10 hour, 30 hour and forklift certification trainings in order to boost the value of what a person can do so that they can command more on a job or get them in the door to a job. A lot of times, you know, our guys go into the warehouses and they don't last long because there's some trauma there that the warehouse doesn't know about. When the supervisor comes up and his attitude reminds you of the warden, there has to be a buffer there. Right. So we are that buffer where they can talk that out in a group session or they can talk that out with somebody on a phone call at break and understand that you're not incarcerated anymore. Right. That is not the warden or the order, you know, correction officer telling you this is where you make your living. Yeah. You know, sometimes the guys need to talk that out because it's difficult coming from a place where you had to do nothing. And then when you did have to do something, you got paid a dollar a day and somebody always told you what you had to do in a stern uh, you know, manner. And you had no choice about the map, you know, yeah, about what absolutely. you could do. Yeah. So on jobs, you have the you have the right to stay or leave, you know, and I tell my guys, if it's not a job that you're happy going to, then don't go. Absolutely. Find a job you're willing to go to and give yourself to until you can find a career that you love to do. Well, that's what's so important. I feel that, you know, I've done some little bit of background check for Sir Donald. You guys are doing some great things. And you're facilitating people for, for even those you figure you think about uh, half the people that are being released, not just from, you know, state prisons, but even from federal prisons. And I don't want to get into mm -hmm. um, the numbers payment then, but at least half of them who couldn't secure uh, employment um, during that time of, of release. And I'm talking those on probation and who's compelled to not only look for, but to gain employment, they commit new crimes. Mm -hmm. You know, it gets so hard out here. It gets very, very difficult. The same things they were facing prior to incarceration are the same things waiting for them before. So the thing is, the attitude has to yes. change. The help has to be there. And what you're doing with Sir Donald Foundation are some of the things that we want to expose. We want to make known uh, to people who are yet struggling in that area. One of the things that's, that, that's very important in what we do is when we get a guy that's coming into our program and they're going to be mentored, we pick them up because Excellent. we can't we cannot afford to have this guy at a bus station distressed, not knowing what to do, been incarcerated for however long. Everything's new. Everything's changed. And he has no idea. You feel helpless. You know, and I'll, I'll speak from personal experience on this point. When, you know, when you're standing in that place, you know you're free. 
Right. But you understand you're still confined in so many ways, mentally and, you know, physically through the parole, you know, programs and, and things like that. But when, when that time comes, we pick them up because the first 72 hours are critical. There's a lot of decisions to be made in a 72 hour period. Where am I going to eat, sleep, live? When will I see my children if I have them? Those and, and a lot of guys come home playing catch up. Right. And they, they feel like they've lost so much time that they have to do more to make things right. right. But what I tell my guys is stop, take a moment, breathe. You're right where you're supposed to be. You're right. outside the gate. So Absolutely. from this moment forward, we have you. What do you need? Clothing, we have it. Hygiene items, we have it. Th the things that will make them feel like they need to quickly gain access to some money because they don't come out with any. Um, that's a that's a sad reality. True. We remove the, those immediate barriers that moment. There's no question to it. So, you know, afterwards, we move into a 30-day plan where we assist them in better understanding what their housing needs are and how long they'll be able to sustain it based on a plan or a goal that they set. You know, we set out a year goal and we walk that goal, those goals out over 90 day periods after the first 90 day, you know, breakdown we do um, to get them acclimated to society. Well, you know, it's just so much so even with employment and the things that you guys are doing. Uh, you get someone who's been incarcerated for a considerable period of time, 10, mm -hmm. 15 years, and they're compelled by probation to uh, get employment. Um, but one of the things now with everything that's changing, we're living in unprecedented times. Things are changing. You can no longer um, get things now off of GED. You can no mm -hmm. longer need a high school diploma. They're requiring you to have some college degree, even if it's not in the field that you're looking for. And as you and I know, who have worked reentry for a number of years, that the access to higher education and higher learning for anybody that's just getting out of prison or any state institution uh, have been severely curtailed. As a matter of fact, I have information here that says that in 1994, the Omnibus Crime Bill included a provision that blocked tail grants for incarcerated people. Mm -hmm. You think of that, you think, of, and then the next year after that, the number of incarcerated individuals were able to access education that fell by 44%. That's almost mm -hmm. half. That's and almost the, half. And in addition to that, one of the, one of the great things though is, um, it has been, you know, removed a little to where it only applies to certain offenses. So there's been given a little bit of wiggle room, but that th those st statistics still hold true right. because the majority of crimes that are, are people are incarcerated for a lot of times are small drug offenses or, right. you know, things like that, that right. just build up over time. Right. So the Pell Grants are we're, we're working with College for You online mobile online learning center, mm -hmm. um, which is a, a lady out in DeKalb. She's an academic advisor at a, a local college. Sure. And she created an app that okay. is focused on the first the first generation student. So what our focus is now is is finding those resources, the ability to go to school for individual criminal history and publishing those to make it known um, right. that these are the opportunities. These are the limits. You know, if drug crimes, if you have a drug crime, more than likely you're not going to be eligible for pale. And that's sad because you know, with the changes in the drug laws and all these other mm -hmm. things that's going on, there should be some understanding that 
you know, this affects individuals to where what they're in what I call circumstantial disability. Sure. Sure. Um, circumstantial disability is where the law sets the circumstance so debilitating that it creates a situation where you cannot act as if you were mentally ill or or challenged or had some form of disability. This is a circumstantial disability created by the law. Wow. Interesting. And so now we're on the on the topic. Now we are in the area of drugs. You were talking about something here a little while back where you were talking about uh, drug offenses and how that prohibits uh, what they're able to navigate around. Um, but let me hear some, what are your ideas in regards to these new laws now that are being created, making cannabis legal now? I can remember as a police officer some 25, 30 years ago in the state of Illinois where uh, I served on the gang crimes unit where I was knocking down doors on drug raids, confiscating marijuana. And, and people going to jail for it who've had numerous cases of it serving some years. And these things are on their record. Nowadays, they have businesses on street corners now where cannabis is called uh, medicinal. Uh, and even in some states, it's recreational. Uh, one of them being Denver, Colorado. I was there and the air was filled with marijuana. So now, what's your idea? What's your take on all of that? So one one good thing about Illinois is there was a, a massive push after, you know, the disparity was recognized to expunge. And there's nothing that individual in the state of Illinois has to do to have marijuana convictions expunged from their record. There's a, a, a broad effort to find those cases and wipe those cases through it, through the expungement process. Other states I'm not quite aware of, but what, what Illinois is doing um some great things in that area to understand that you cannot criminal criminalize it at one point and put a barrier to life on some people, then legalize it at another point because you found out how to tax it and, you know, make it a, a thing that's broadly accepted now. So there had to be some repercussion for what happened to individuals who had convictions for that. So, um, I believe there's a, a, a limit to how much, um, but I but on the other side of that, uh, Illinois did pass legislation to expunge marijuana cases from criminal right. from individuals' criminal history. But don't you think this should be a national effort? Absolutely, the national effort has to be if there's if marijuana is going to be decriminalized at the federal level, which the next move is currently in in place for, if it has not happened recently. Um, for marijuana to be uh, recreationally available nationally. So if you do that, you're looking at the same thing as the cocaine crack uh, disparity in the sentencing laws. So now you have to go back and tell these people sorry by expunging their you know, criminal histories and allow them the opportunity for life. Wow. And so that, that brings about a very, very deep concern uh, in regards to those disparities because... Um, it'll cover um, just what uh, what people are able to do mm -hmm. because they're not because they're getting out of prison or jail or whatever the case may be uh, with this mounting background of things that will prohibit them, um, especially if they're all drug related, marijuana uh, related, uh, you know, nothing on the other schedule side with cocaine or anything like that with narcotics. But, you know, with all of these mounting Things that are still on their record, they have not been expunged yet. 
they're still unable to mm-hmm. uh, get housing, and which is what we're going to talk about now. They're still unable to enroll or receive grants for scholarships because clearly they don't have the employment, so they don't have the money. You know, so the one, the one thing they're suffering with and is one of the things that we try to approach even in the reentry effort is transitional housing. All right. Transitional housing is very important. Um, I think I look at transitional housing different. Why would I teach you how to be a renter when I can teach you how to be an owner? Yeah, that puts you a little bit further ahead. You know, all these new tiny house ideas. Um, and a lot of people look at me wrong when I say this me coming out have, having lived in a, a 10 by 6 or 10 by 7 cell for so long into a situation where you're teaching me to be productive you've employed you've helped me get employment now you're telling me I can live on a campus mm-hmm. where a home is established for me to purchase at a at the rate of build you know and I I take this home and I learn how to be a homeowner for in preparation for moving into an actual like you know real size home Uh if i so choose to might love the tiny home so much i buy one off off site but to to teach someone how to sustain themselves is better than transitional housing has changed in illinois it's become a, a a commerce instead of a service and you know you get places that end up housing people but not treating them sure and now you have people that live in neighborhoods and and go untreated unsupported mm-hmm. unsustainable and next thing you know they get out of there and they reoffend mm-hmm. and everybody's looking at them like they were wrong no right. you did nothing to assist so, me except for give me somewhere to live yeah you so didn't raise my motivation or right. my value or anything so they're just transferring one trouble to another location yep basically so basically so consequently you know even with the housing authority um, they just seem to have uh, adopted this this blanket screening, this mm-hmm. this one sided thinking, and they're putting all of this in apology that it will actually um, reject applicants with criminal backgrounds, especially drug backgrounds, because they're setting up um, you know meth labs and and all types of things. They're selling drugs in, out of these places, and so what they're doing, they even the federal law, you know, with the with the housing authority is federal law. That's going to, to govern really, that. Yep. Right. And so um, they have the mandate on public housing ban for people who's got these certain types of specific conditions. And I'm talking about specific. That means they're they're um, itemizing you. They're kind of, you know, putting you, segregating you in an area where you you don't you don't have the record. You don't can't get the recognition or you can't get the uh, opportunity if you have certain things on your background. So mm-hmm. the majority of crimes that they're dealing with, the housing agency, they have a broader discretion to deny. Or even when they get in, they're looking to evict. The minute something happens, anybody with a history of criminal activity in the background. And that is absolutely true. It's, it's hard to get. I, I've watched guys. I had a guy whose grandmother lived in a HUD uh, Section 8 assisted housing. Yeah. And you could tell this woman did everything she possibly could mm-hmm. to have a place ready for her grandson uh, when he came home and they denied him Wow! and they told him because of his criminal background mm-hmm. however 
It was his first offense. Sure. It was a nonviolent offense. Okay. And there was actually enough, you know, information to show that he probably shouldn't have been convicted. But nobody wanted to care about any of that. There's no metrics for that. Like, you know, with employment now, there's a metric that a lot of companies go by to see mm-hmm. how much of a risk you are for their insurance and things like that. But sure. there's no metric for um, housing as of yet to determine whether you can or cannot get in. There's hmm. this this theory out there that you can get into uh, uh, federal hood housing with a criminal history. However, most of those individuals haven't been convicted of a crime in 20 to 30 years and are senior citizens. Okay. So now they're touting it as if they're letting somebody that just committed an offense five years ago and has been out a year sure. into you know public housing. There are pilot programs, uh, but those are for women with children and things like that. But what about the common, the commonplace person who's going to walk out that door to nowhere and flood the shelter? There's well, no. Go ahead. I'm sorry. But what's the effect on housing in the private market, though? I mean, I know they govern federal, uh, but what about the private market? The private market is just as bad. I, I haven't had a criminal. I haven't committed a criminal offense in over 10 years. And I have not been in physical incarceration in over eight years. And uh, I went to apply for a place not too long ago and they denied me for my background. However, every time I get a background report from a job or somewhere, there's nothing on it because of the length of the check. You know, and I've never had anything horrible mm-hmm. on my background. Um, so when you look at getting a house in the private market, there's this thing called the crime free lease addendum. That is a blatant mm-hmm. method of teaching discrimination against African-Americans and individuals with criminal histories. Mm-hmm. And I sat through one of these classes in, in uh, Elgin, Illinois, and I listened to it being taught. And it was a, a plethora of different ways to discriminate without saying um, African-American, but with saying criminal. Right. And, you know, there's the risk of this, the risk of that. Mm-hmm. And it, I sat there and I thought, so where where should people with criminal histories live? And if you give society at this point any choice, right? they say nowhere. Wow. Well, you think about the landlords and when you talk about choice, uh, it really falls on the landlord reading the application, looking over applications. Most of them right off the bat are unwilling to rent to anybody Mm -hmm. that's been recently incarcerated. Look at you being first a victim. You having first head knowledge of that situation Uh, and any excuse. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I spoke to a landlord recently Mm -hmm. who, who ended up becoming a good friend of mine. And, you know, I served on this committee to, for, in DeKalb, Illinois, uh, to find the next chief of police, which we were successfully able to do. Sure. And this person, you know, sat on this committee with me mm-hmm. and we spoke after and in our conversation. I told him, hey, look, uh, you know, I'm going to be looking for a place in August. And this is what I run into every time. And he said, listen, how much are you looking to spend? And I told him. How many bedrooms do you need? I told him, gave him the particulars, and he told me no problem. And I thought about it. The same, you know, company just turned down two of my mentees who have less, you know, uh, less criminal history than me. And I asked, I said, why, why is it that it was that easy? He said, because I know you. 
So in order to get people into housing, we have to get them into the community so the community knows them and knows their intrinsic motivation and, and knows that they're geared towards success and they'll maintain that in order for people to be comfortable in renting to them. See, a lot of times it's not what you know, but who you know. And what people know about you can bar you from a lot of things for the rest of your life. Yeah, because you and I know both, Ernell, realistically. You know, recidivism is a very, very difficult uh, matter to address because it's a word that just tells us about repeat offenders and trying to prohibit them from doing, repeating different crimes, whatever crimes, any crimes, based on these barriers that we know, not if they're going to face them, but when they face them. You know, and so it's just due to all of these barriers. We know even with the homelessness situation mm -hmm. that we deal with, many of them have been recently incarcerated. A lot of them won't get let out of prison because they don't have addresses to go back to. They can't even Absolutely. get probation because they don't have addresses to go back to. Uh, and so who they know, they may not know anybody of prominence uh, mm -hmm. outside in, in the society, may not know anyone for that matter. And so a starting point uh, is so critical, uh, which is why we appreciate and I personally appreciate what you're doing through the Sir Donald Foundation, because it's necessary. And for someone who has firsthand knowledge and, and, and been victimized of this type of, um, high, you know, barrier, but particularly with housing, um, it should it sends an intimate, you know, gives you an intimacy with with the project and the things that are happening. And so um, I do want to move into because I've, I've been in Florida now for about five years. And um, one of the things that I did not know um, down uh, just regarding incarcerated individuals being released is that they were stripped here uh, of their voting rights. Now, they have mm -hmm. new legislation mm -hmm. that has changed that and they're still fighting that. Um, but before um, they were denied um voting rights they would not vote right that and this is considering mm -hmm. after they've served their time they've paid their debt to society um, they've satisfied their probation or parole period whatever the case may be um, but they were denied the right to vote what's your what's your idea what's your take on that so that 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 has always sat with me because i watched florida closely related to that legislation and it goes back to this term called civilator mortis. Huh. Okay. And it's this, it's called, it's in English, it's civil death. It's the stripping of every, any and every right as a human being and a civilian in society from anyone once they're incarcerated. And in many states, when you are released, a lot of those rights come back. The only one that absolutely does not come back um, except for in states like Texas, where on your property you can have it, are gun laws, gun rights. Mm -hmm. um, but the civ the civilitor mortis, civil death, is a thing that was written uh, in the 1800s, all the way, and it actually comes from Europe. And one of the funny things about that is it's a way to declare you not a person again mm. and it strikes me the similarity of where it is um 
on a scale of, of you know, racial and race, racial justice and injustice. And I'm not going to get too far into that because this is about the voting sure, rights. Yeah. Um, Florida was one of the, is you know, was one of the states that held out the longest <laughs> on giving people their voting rights back. Yeah. And part of that, in my opinion, is based on who would be getting those rights back. And the demographic that, you know, that changes you know how that landscape looks mm-hmm. and now you have to appeal to a different type of person that you yeah. see as be- beneath you yeah. as civilly dead wow you know illinois you when you come home you can vote on probation before you're convicted you can vote um while you're incarcerated one of the great areas that's never been challenged or touched is after you've been convicted mm-hmm. and released but reoffend mm-hmm. It's an area where, hey, look, you still have not been newly convicted um, and you've been released for that last offense. So one one of the things I I do want to say is that it's awesome that the legislation was passed. But that's one of those things like the Voting Rights Act of 1965 is going to have to be watched and monitored at every step of the way, because every chance that it comes up, Mm -hmm. there's going to be an attack on that right. Because it changes the landscape of the voter in the state of Florida. And it gives individuals who once had no voice, who were marginalized and disenfranchised to a degree that they could not speak for themselves in any legislative body through a representative, um, a right to vote now. Mm -hmm. So now they have power, the ability to say, hey, look, we need this change and related to how you treat with individuals with criminal histories or we'll vote you out. And there's enough individuals in the state of Florida that gain their right, their voting rights back to effectuate some major change. Yeah, well, you know, actually, the Florida Parole Commission actually put out a report uh, indicating that there was um, uh, overall there was like a three year recidivism rate that was based on a, on all release information that it was a 33 percent while. Well, they addressed recidivism rate was released prisoners who were given their civil rights back and they were allowed to vote. And so mm-hmm. they were allowed to vote. So they're they're moving in the direction. But as you say, it's probably the slowest pace in the nation uh, right mm-hmm. now. Um, and so obviously politics has a lot uh, to play with that. You know, so voting voting, as you can see now across our country, has taken a whole different um, you know, importance in our society right now because you know we've got other countries that are involved in our processes. They're tainting mm-hmm. it with corruption, uh, Russia, and just all of these type of things. People are all for political and monetary gain. They're using people's lives to to for their personal gain, uh, mm-hmm. and it's just absolutely wrong. And the voting process should be a, an entity that should be protected because it's a right. You know, it's a right. An inalienable right. An inalienable right, absolutely. So, um, you know, I think that's, a, the, again, the work that we're trying to do um, in the in the uh, reentry um, sector is, uh, is important. It needs to continue. And I'm hoping it will. And so... One more sure. thing about this voting thing. W- w- you know, one of the things that I hope is heard... Uh, in this conversation is that you have to mobilize the strength of your vote to change the circumstance in which you live. Right. There has to be a motivation 
that you want to participate in the right that is given to you to change the legislation and the processes that affect you. Because as long as there's laws to protect you, 14th Amendment, uh, as an example, equal protection of the right uh, of the law. Um, as long as those exist to protect you, people cannot yeah. strip you of things that you gain. Yeah. As long as you're moving and pushing society to understand that I am here, I am a part of your society, I want to be a part of your society, allow me to be a part of your society because I'm not going away. You have to do that at the po- at the pole. You have that right, stress that right, talk to your legislators, get out and vote mobilize other individuals with criminal histories to vote because things can and must change absolutely absolutely wow well i mean with everything that we discussed there's so much that goes into this but i I appreciate the dialogue that you've shared with us tonight brother hernell and i want to uh, hope you will continue on doing the marvelous work that you're doing uh i know you've been at it for quite some time and you have been instrumental um, in the sector of adult reentry. So I want to thank you again for your time. Thank you for the information that you share with us. And there is one bit of information I do want to provide. There are grants out here, and I just pulled it off the uh, internet, and I just wanted to show it uh, and talk about it tonight. But there are grants out here for felons in Illinois. Uh, and if they will go to uh, www.freegrant.com, for felons. Again, that's www.freegrantsforfelons.org. If they can go there and just kind of look at what can be done and whatever questions that they may have, legal questions, um, they have business grants, government grants, um, Southern Fieldmaker grants, just a variety of grants that are available to young men. And we want to use this forum and platform to, to promote some of these things that are going unannounced into the African-American community uh, and so that they can better their lives and move past these barriers of what our discussion surrounds tonight. Sir Arnell, my brother, God bless you and thank you so much, man. Do you have any last words um, that you'd like to share? I just want to say thank you for having me on and I appreciate being here and being able to give what's so freely been given to me. (laughs) Amen. Well, thank you again, brother. I look forward to chatting with you soon. And until then, God bless everyone and have a wonderful evening. Thank you, brother. Take care.